Thank you for giving this podcast a try. My name is Colin Piper. I'm the author of Patriarch, and all I can say is I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed writing it. You can find out more about why and how I wrote Patriarch on the website BibleNovels.com or, or the Bible Novels Facebook group. There's other free things you can find there, like Bible reading notes, latest news, blogs about this podcast and others, and a chance to interact, ask questions, or share your reflections. I'd love this to be more than just an audiobook. I'd love it to be a life-changing journey of faith as we walk the road of Abraham together. Anyway, let's waste no more time, and let me take you back 4,000 years to the sophisticated city of Ur, where our story begins. Not with Abraham as it happens, but his father, Terah. Enjoy. Patriarch, Chapter 1, Part 1. He'd been doing it for days, maybe weeks, and no one knew why. Even those ultimate people watchers, the market traders, were bemused. Other people's business was their business. Instinctively, they knew who was in the marketplace to trade and who was just passing through. It was important to them. All were wooed, but the passers-by more out of habit than with conviction. Yet this old man baffled them. He was a trader, a very good one at that. But recently, bizarrely, he seemed to have lost his appetite for the market. Instead, every day, without exception, he would walk past, so absorbed and oblivious to all about him that even the most hardened trader had all but given up on him. It was a mystery to them all. And there were deeper questions each asked, even if they didn't articulate them. How could a resident look so perpetually lost? And even more outrageously to those whose whole lives revolved around the acquisition of wealth. How could a rich man look so sad? Whenever the old man appeared, all were aware of him. Some stared. Others more subtly watched, albeit without apparently looking or seeing. And today, all were aware that something was different. There was a purposeful step in the man's stride and and a glint in his eye. Terah took the same walk he'd taken every day for the last couple of months, but today was different. His mind was made up, and strangely, all that had up until then seemed so gloomy and so alien no longer seemed quite so bad. Every day he'd ventured down the same alley into the same marketplace to be confronted by the same sounds and smells, which in themselves were enough to tell him he didn't fit. Despite living and making a living here, his senses still registered the environment of Ur as foreign, which of course it was. 
Perhaps like nowhere else on earth, the whole world was lured into this tiny, compact square of ground, buying and selling the mundane and essential from nearby, and the exotic and extravagant from far away. All with one goal in mind, to become as wealthy as Terra. Many of those traders were just passing through. A few like him had settled. Unlike him, however, they had settled emotionally and spiritually as well as physically. He couldn't. Deep down he carried memories of other smells and sounds, perhaps not so pleasing to the nose and ear of most, but that wasn't the point. The comfort and pleasure lay not in the nature of the senses, but in their associations. He had to admit, though, it was ridiculous. Here in the city, which epitomised success, he had made his fortune. And yet somehow, it wasn't enough. Day after day, he'd taken this walk for, for no obvious purpose. In fact, at first, it had been in a vain effort to remind himself of all he had achieved and where he'd ended up. Every day he walked through the square where the whole world gathered and then up past the school and the the mighty ziggurats before turning back down the most lavish of tree-lined boulevards where he lived. But it never worked. He might have been in awe of the massive temple tower which had stood for a hundred years and for all he knew might stand for another hundred years yet. But as soon as he turned into his street and saw his house, his excitement ebbed away. It was indeed a beautiful house, but it wasn't home. Most recently, his daily circuit had begun to express his inner restlessness, his lostness, and crazily enough, his homesickness. Round and round he went like a bird, flying in circuits back to his perch. Just like a bird, unbeknown to the people of the day, seemingly going nowhere, but in fact plucking up the courage for the marathon migration back home. It seemed irrational. He yearned to turn his back on the sophistication of the world's material and cultural capital, and for what? A rustic backwater devoid of most of the luxuries he'd gotten used to. But more than that, home. The place of his birth and the place for his death. Now finally it made sense. He couldn't think sitting down. He was the sort of person who who needed to be on the move to make sense. And as he walked, he he became aware again of who he was and what he needed to do. He passed the ziggurat and thought for a moment how some might see this as a spiritual moment. But Terah had never had too much time for spiritual matters. He just didn't think or talk about these sorts of things. The stories his mother had taught him, and and indeed her grandchildren after him, suggested his family had a few credits to trade with God, 
whoever or whatever he may be. And so a trader of his skill and experience should be able to do the necessary as and when it might be required. He had, for instance, bought some favour with the moon god by naming his daughter Sarai after the wife of the god. His firstborn son had similarly recognised Malkasharatu by naming his daughter Milka. Not that it had borne any fruit for either of the poor women. And then again, he'd taken out some backup with a household god of sorts, although, to be honest, he'd left that side of his affairs to his son Nahor to supervise for him. Terah stopped and absorbed the sight and feel of the edifice before him, the sheer grandeur of its size, the extraordinary design, and the fervency of the Sumerian people who scurried around it should have stirred him. But as ever it failed. If anything, he felt somewhat uneasy about it. What was it his mother taught him about a tower in a city of many tongues? Or maybe just the whole religion thing got to him. There was nowhere on earth as ordered, regimented and rational as Ur. It was over 100 years since Ernamu had taken power in a chaotic coup and since then order had reigned. Ur had everything from regulations governing merchant scales to those which determined the very layout and development of the city itself. A passing trader from Nippur or prospective immigrants from Uruk, both were bound by a legal code of a complexity his family back home would never have believed. Schools taught children about sciences and wonders which would have dumbfounded his forefathers. And yet, amidst this self-confidence, the happy people of Ur were still lured to this edifice in search of a god who dwelt in the fires they lit. And why? Curiosity? Fear? Or could it even be an emptiness similar to his own? albeit one sated in a rather less dramatic way than he intended. Terra shrugged off the thought and turned down the grandest of roads. Behind the palms, planted to bring shade, colour and even fragrance befitting this end of town, lay houses which outwardly didn't look anything extraordinary each unremarkably grey and adorned only by wooden verandas, they modestly concealed the opulence within. Step over the threshold, however, and this old nomad still occasionally stopped to wander. Today was one of those days. For a moment he stood to take in all that was his. Extending before him was a courtyard resplendent in colour. In the centre was the fountain, so positioned that the sound of its running waters permeated every corner of the mansion. It cooled and refreshed without the need for tasting and soothed and calmed better than any lyre. 
Around all four sides of the courtyard ran the colonnaded balcony, supported by huge upright beams which reached from floor to capital, each uniquely and intricately carved. Just for the briefest of moments, he wavered, somehow entranced by the scene before him, until the spell was broken by the clumsiness of a child. Prompted by an unseen adult, she'd raced to the fountain with a bowl and towel, and in her eagerness to reach terror, in order to fulfil her appointed task, she tripped, spilling the water and splashing Terra's robes. Horrified, she froze on the ground where she fell, and then hesitantly she looked up into the face of the patriarch, whose expression slowly evolved from seemingly preoccupation through genuine surprise to gentle amusement. The little girl decided to quit while she was ahead and ran off to her mother's rebuke, leaving Terra to wash his own hands and feet at the ornate basin surrounding the fountain. No, there was no going back. Ah, but how to tell the family? That was the question. He could, of course, just order them to come along and there would be no public arguments. In turn, the men would order the women and the women the children, all without registering any dissent, at least not publicly. Of course, under cover of darkness and in the secrecy of the marriage bed, the wives may protest in whatever way they might consider most effective. Maybe they would prevail and their weary or frustrated husbands somewhat awkwardly would find occasion to ask to be excused. A request he would grant, partly because he did genuinely love his family and wouldn't want to force his own sentimental and undeniably selfish schemes on them, but partly because he knew he would leave them soon in any case. No he would do the unthinkable and offer a choice to all at the very outset. Once more he smiled. He couldn't recall smiling so much in one day for a very long time. It could be a very lonely journey. Abram had seen the episode with the child from behind a doorway curtain on the balcony and couldn't help but smile himself. However, he was surprised to see his father smiling as well. It had been a very long time. He'd watched Terrar walk to the fountain and pour water over his hands and feet and even extravagantly his head. And then to his amazement, he saw him smile again. At that, Abram knew it was time. He realised he might never again get such an opportunity as this, and almost immediately an excitement and a panic caused his adrenaline to pump and his limbs to freeze. He had tried to rehearse the moment conversation and arguments many times in his head, but had failed abysmably to come up with a suitable script. 
It was easier to describe colour to the blind than to explain to his father his experiences and their consequences. To be honest, he hardly understood them himself. Voices, promises and outrageous commands. He knew instinctively his grandmother would have understood. She and Nahor, her husband, were probably the last of an age when there was a greater certainty about God. Now as the world merged into metropolises like Ur or Kish, all certainties were blurred. Men may be able to build towers up into the heavens, but somehow the gods seemed even more noticeable by their absence. Abram's problem was that if he couldn't be certain who he'd heard, how could he confidently reveal what he'd heard, especially when it was so outrageous. Leaving father and mother was one thing, but breaking ties with the whole family, that could only ever be interpreted as the ultimate insult. Leaving Ur wouldn't have seemed as too abnormal, but leaving as a nomad, homeless, and apparently directionless, that was another story altogether. The uncertainties which had plagued him these 70-odd years paralysed him once more. Yet this he knew. He had heard the voice. And it had spoken, not just to his head, but also to his heart, his, his very soul. It had spoken meaning into futility and hope into pain. He wanted it to be true. Oh, how he wanted it to be true. And if it was, no price was too high to pay. Even those moments of humiliation and awkwardness before his father. For a fleeting second, courage seemed to flow through his whole being. And from his balcony as he watched his father, seemingly carefree in his exuberance at the fountain, he knew that courage and opportunity might never coincide quite so conveniently again. So Abram let the heavy curtain he was holding open fall back across the arched opening and headed for the wooden staircase down. But no sooner had he done so than the courage seemed to drain away until at the time he was face to face with terror, he had none left. And now he stood, somewhat awkwardly before his father, not knowing what to say or do. And in any case, totally unprepared for what was about to happen. It took Terah a while to realise his son stood before him. But when he did, he growled happily. Abram, how opportune. Go gather the men, quickly, before my courage fails me. You're listening to the Patriarch Podcast. For more information, you can go to biblenovels.com where you can become a Patreon supporter to support Overseas Mission.